Thank you. I'm going off script. I feel like I should rename my preach. We all need a Dave and Naomi Lease. <laughs> I feel like that should be the title of my message today. Thank you. Um, and actually, well, if you think about it, we all need a Jonathan. You probably all have the answer to this title already. You probably already know a Jonathan. Probably the law of averages, John. And I know there's, I've already spoken to a John this morning, but there's a Johnny. Um, you probably know a Jonathan. So preach done. Um, end of message. Uh, no. Uh, the Jonathan we're referring to, in case you're unsure... It's found in the Old Testament, and David has come up, the King David, the name King David has come up this morning a few times, and it's very difficult to share the story of Jonathan without referring to the story of David. The two stories are intertwined, so I'm going to try and unpack a few things. Now, actually, you may, you probably know of Jonathan. You may not know how prominent he features in, in the Old Testament. He features quite a lot which is what I discovered in preparation for this. I mean, I could have, this morning, started talking about um, how he was witness to the rise and fall of the first king of Israel. For anyone that doesn't know, last week, Deborah, uh, Deborah, Sarah talked about Deborah, who was a judge. The nation of Israel was ruled and governed by judges before um, the, the, the Israelite nation started to grumble and complain and compare themselves with other nations. Other nations around us have kings. They have the power. They have the military force. They are what we want to be. We want a king. So they demanded a king and they got a king. And he was a man, um, Saul, a man head and shoulders above his peers. He, on paper, he looked to be a phenomenal king. But the story goes on. Um, he turned out to be a horrendous king. <laughs> and God, uh, well, Jonathan, being the son of this king, witnessed firsthand the rise and fall of Saul, first ever king of Israel. What a you know, I could have delivered a message on that, how to respond to a, a difficult father and how to respond in that way. Um, what about the story, a lot of us may know, Jonathan and his armor bearer. Throughout history, throughout the reign of King Saul, the Israelites were at war with the Philistines. And the Philistines were huge and massive and huge, great military prowess. There's one occasion where the Israelite army, no member of the army except for Saul and Jonathan had a sword or spear, and they were against giants and monsters and warriors in the Philistine army. Who is going to win? Well, it looked on paper to be an absolute washout, but Jonathan was brave. I could talk about the bravery of Jonathan. I could have talked about he and one other man, his armor bearer, his close assistant, took out a whole Philistine outpost, just took it out on their own. And that miraculously triggered a victory for the whole nation of Israel. That one act, that one act of bravery triggered the, the whole army of the Philistines were against each other. With no swords and spears, the Israelite army managed to defeat the Philistines on a battlefield just because of Jonathan. I could have preached on that, but I'm not. I could have preached on, and I like food, biscuits. Um, there's maybe the odd occasion in my life when I've eaten something I shouldn't have. Biscuits is one. You know, there's a biscuit... Fresh baked, that is baked for tonight's um, hospitality. That's, that's, you know, we've got guests around tonight. Don't eat the cookies. There's been occasions in my life where maybe I have eaten the cookies. Now, after that victory, um, Saul was a mad king, mad king. And he said to the warriors in the newly victorious um, Israelite army, no one is to eat a thing until evening. That was a law, an oath. He said, you must take this oath. No one is to eat a thing. 
But but Jonathan, I like Jonathan, he was, whether he didn't get that memo from his dad, whether he just wasn't listening, you know, kids don't listen to their father sometimes, do they? He just ate some honey. Just a little bit of honey, just one chocolate biscuit. What harm could that do? Well, his dad, his father, King Saul, wanted to kill him. I could have preached about that and how you respond. Unfortunately, the Israelites saved Jonathan because he was a hero. And my dad, um, a little bit like me, was a fairly gentle man. Um, but there was the odd occasion where if you crossed him, it was, you know, he had a temper, what I'm saying. There's one occasion, probably aged, I don't know, eight. And um, I, I don't know what I'd done. I'd done, maybe beat my sisters up or they beat me up or whatever. I think what they'd done is they'd call my action figures dolls. And you don't do that. Wrestling figures are not dolls. So I probably just, you know, laid the smack down, if anyone watched wrestling, on my sisters. I don't know what I did, but I was in trouble. And I was heading to my room. My room was at the top of the landing. So if you imagine this scenario, um, straight ahead is my room. And I'm coming from across the hallway. This way are the stairs. My, my room is at the top of the stairs. And my dad is, you know, my sisters are complaining or whatever. And my dad is blocking me from getting into my escape room, my room. There's only one way I can go, down the stairs. And I thought at that one moment, my daddy's going to kill me. He's going to throw me down the stairs. Fortunately, he didn't. That's the only one occasion I felt as if my dad would kill me. Because um, I swore at him, I think, what I did. Um, sorry, I, I missed that bit out, didn't I? <laughs> so sorry. Uh, <laughs> after I beat my sisters up or whatever I did, fed them Lego, I, I, was then, I then said something offensive to my dad, which was naughty. So I don't condone that, but he nearly killed me for that. Um, David, we've mentioned, a giant killer, killed Goliath, became Jonathan's best friend. What a beautiful story. We're going to talk more about that later on. But in this process, he learns that God has rejected his father. And in some ways, God has actually rejected him. Because as son of the king, he's next in line to be king. And God has said, no, you, that's not the way we're going to go now. You're, your father, he didn't actually say it like this to Jonathan, but Jonathan would know about this. He'd have had a conversation with David. Um, David heard from God that he's going to be the next king in place of Saul, completely out of the family lineage. That's how God was doing it. So Jonathan would have known this. And he'd also know that he, rightfully, should be the next king. But he knew that God had a different plan. We'll maybe talk a bit more about that later. Um, and in this process, Saul, King Saul, becomes jealous of David and tries to kill David. Um, there was an occasion when I was younger, just, I'm just talking about dads just for a moment, when I was probably about 15, 16, over the summer, me and my friends, we'd always get a train to a place called Solihull, which is posh Birmingham. Um, I think there were some girls there, and we just liked to go visit, you know, just because girls are more intelligent, so we just wanted to learn from them. So we'd go there every weekend during the summer, and um, we catch a train. It was a 45-minute train journey. I don't know. I think, I'm sure I was 14, 15. So my parents were quite trusting. And we'd stay with permission from our parents a little bit late to the last train, 11.45, I believe it was. On this one occasion, we were just being cocky lads. We were just being lads. Whatever lads are like, we were doing it. And last train, we just sort of cockily walked up to the button to press to get into the train on board the train, but we'd missed it. The train was off. We'd missed the last train. So through me and two of my friends, we had to draw lots. Whose dad are we going to phone? Because <laughs> this is an hour journey um, and then back as well. So we, don't, we weren't close to Solihull. And we turned out, we, we ended up drawing lots and the, probably the kindest, our perception of the kindest dad was the one chosen. So we thought we we're in here. But my goodness, I've not spoken to that dad since. I thought, 
Um, if my dad couldn't, didn't kill me at age eight, age 14, Rich's dad is going to kill me. Um, so there's been a few occasions like that. But no, I'm not even going to preach about that. What am I going to preach about? We're talking about friendship. As Amy said, they're talking in kids' church about friends. What a great topic on a Sunday morning. But also, I don't think there's anything more saddening to my heart out of all the issues in, in life. I don't think there's anything that brings a tear to my eye more so than loneliness. I don't, you, you, could, you could give me any news headline, and the one that would break my heart most would be loneliness. We all need a Jonathan. We all need a true friend. So looking at one or two other inst- incidences or instances in Jonathan's life, what can we learn? What type of friendship did Jonathan model to us? And I've got three things for you, as I often like. Three things helps me, hopefully helps you. So the first one is true friends compliment, not compete. I had another friend growing up, and he was better looking at me, better looking than me. He was far more confident with the ladies than me. He was probably twice the footballer I was. Um, he, in terms of sport, any sport, he could beat me, whether that be chess or um, netball. It was, he would beat me, hands down. He was better at computer games than me. Um, he was better at um, <laughs> top trumps. I just, I just remember... I'll get onto this in a second, but we used to, he used to, if I ever, on the odd occasion, his guard was down and I'd beat him at anything, whether that be a game of FIFA on, on the PlayStation, whether that be a game of Top Trumps, whether that be a game of cards, whatever that is, he would hate me. There'd be a rivalry. There would be this competition. He, he would beat me 99 times out of 100, but on that one occasion, my one moment of glory, he would throw the PlayStation controller at my face. He would stamp on my ankle. He would do whatever. It was because, A, because of one of his character flaws, but B, just how it was. We were, in some ways, in his eyes, rivals, but together, we were stronger. If you were to put us on the same team, we could, like Jonathan and his armor bearer, we could take out a whole football team. You just put two against 11, we'd win. Because together, we'd grown up and we knew how to fight together. We knew how to, we knew the best, how to get the best out of each other. Your friends aren't your rivals. You know what? David needed Jonathan. Because without Jonathan, David would not have been king of Israel. The whole of humanity, our salvation pins on this on this rivalry. If Jonathan had wanted the power to become king, he could have killed David at a shot. He could have hit him with a PlayStation controller and knocked him out dead. David, in order to be king, needed Jonathan. He needed that ally because Saul would have killed him anyway. But Jonathan needed David because Jonathan was in that army of potential cowards, the Israelites, when Goliath was saying, you know, defying the army and the nation of Israel, defying God. Jonathan was there. But he probably didn't think he could take on Goliath. He needed, just as Saul needed, he needed a giant slayer. And David came in. This relationship was mutual. They both needed each other. We all need a Jonathan. We need each other equally. In fact, Jonathan saves David's life on a couple of occasions and helps him escape his own father. And they swear loyalty to each other. Let's read a little bit about that from 1 Samuel 20. So what's just happened is Jonathan wants to warn David that his father, Saul, wants to kill him. 
and the sign is that he, you know, a game of archery, a boy um, firing some arrows, and if, and if he asks him to go and get the arrows from further away, something like that, he's, that's the signal. That's the signal that Saul wants you dead, David. And so the signal's just been given. And as soon as the boy who was shooting the arrow was gone, David came out from where he'd been hiding, because this is what is happening. David is now running, in some ways, scared in hiding, because Saul wants him dead. Um, here near the stone pile. Then David bowed three times to Jonathan. What mutual, wonderful respect and love. With his face to the ground, both of them were in tears as they embraced each other and said goodbye. Especially David. David needed a Jonathan. At last, Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn loyalty to each other in the Lord's name. The Lord is the witness of a bond True friendship between us and our children forever. Then David left and Jonathan returned to the town. Beautiful imagery of what a friend is like. Laying down all aside rivalry and competition. They simply humbly bowed before each other, loved each other and honored each other. What are friends for? It's the question we often hear. Are they for us to get something? You know, we, we talk about networking now, don't we? I want to network so I can get something out of that person. That person's gifted in that area. I'm not gifted, therefore I want them to be my friend, whether it be in a business context or in a whatever context. We network now, don't we? We don't often seek out friends. It's not about what we can get from a person. Friendship, true friendship, modeled by David, is about what you can give. And we should not be jealously competing to be who the greatest is. Because even the disciples did that in Mark 9. They were were discussing and debating, who is the greatest? Well, Jesus just puts it straight in the next verse, Jess, which is Mark 9. He sat down, called the 12 disciples over to him and said, whoever wants to be the first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. We must all humbly bow before each other. A friend, a true friend, is somebody that serves another. Not somebody that wants the better over the other. Wonderful imagery. So my second point very much links and carries on from the third. But I like this phrase. The second point is true friends yield, not wield. So that put my spell checker to the test. I before E on three words on the screen there. I think I spelt it right. And we'll ask Naomi later. But yield, um, in terms of power... You yield power by taking it away, by putting the sword down, by surrendering, by giving up, giving in to somebody else. But wield, you use the power, you use the sword, you use your whatever, God-given or your own given power. You exercise authority, you wield it. What Jonathan did, he had all the power. He was the heir to the throne. He was son of the king of Israel, and he yielded that power. Wow, I wish I could do that in an argument in the heat of the moment when I know my point of view is the right one. Why can't I just yield? Instead, I wield a nasty word of insult or a nasty, you know, that, you know what you did last year or last week? You, you, we manipulate people. I wish I could be like Jonathan. He gave up his right as the heir and surrendered. He gave up the whole kingdom. And in some ways, in his eyes, he wasn't given... It to the kingdom of David. He was actually giving it to the kingdom of God. And I'm not asking you to give everything to your friends. 
But sometimes we need to acknowledge what God is doing in our friends or in our peers or in our colleagues and allow ourselves to be humble enough to yield what we want and allow God to wield power correctly and for others to wield. So the questions, these are challenging and I'm just going to ask them without even trying to answer them. But would you give up something that was rightfully yours and give it to someone else? Would Serena Williams, having won Wimbledon last yesterday, would she, having won that match, give the title to her opponent? No. Neither would I. How would you respond if God were to give someone else, ooh, this is the word, position, and not you? We hear that word maybe in church, but certainly at work. Somebody gets the position and not you. How do we respond? Ouch. And then finally, how do you react when you see your friends succeed and maybe in your eyes you are not? These are challenging questions and Jonathan was pretty good at answering these questions. And get this, I'm not saying because David eventually became king, I'm not saying that Jonathan's calling was any less. Just because you're not in position, just because you're not the king doesn't mean you are any less. Doesn't mean that you are less important. In fact, without Jonathan yielding that power, we would not, well, God would have found a way, but from King David, through the lineage, all the way through to Joseph, and then Jesus, Jesus Christ, our salvation is knitted together in that decision from Jonathan. If Jonathan had rebelled and beat his friend up and killed him and put, took, on, took on kingship himself, we could not be here today. So he wasn't, if out of, the, out of these two heroes, King David, who has written reams and reams, the Psalms, there's so much text written about him, historically, philosophically, religiously, possibly a hero for many people. Jonathan had the bigger role. Jonathan even gave his life. He died in battle, fighting alongside his father, Saul. And as a result, David was in tears. Jonathan didn't even see the fulfillment of the promise. He didn't even see the result of him yielding. Sometimes we don't actually see an end result. You think, God, you've asked me to do something. You've asked me to back off. Maybe, you know, Dave was saying how there was occasions where God said, leave me to do this. Don't try and do this in your own strength. And sometimes it doesn't happen immediately we realize why God has asked us to do that. It may, we may never even see it. Jonathan never saw King David being King David because he was dead. So he did that without even seeing it. He probably didn't expect to be killed in battle, but he was. Sometimes we've got to kind of, in faith, give things to God, give things to others, and we don't necessarily see the end result, but we just got to trust in God that he's going to do what he says he's going to do with what we choose to yield. Jonathan was an early model of Jesus Christ. See if you agree with me in Philippians Two. This is Jesus. Do you see this as, a, as a, an explanation of Jonathan? In your relationships, friendships, marriages, colleagues, with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, there's no greater title, position, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature Here's that word again, servant. Be made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Just a bit 
Sounds a bit like Jonathan. It goes on, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted, and this is the, the, the secondary, this is what comes next. And we didn't necessarily see this in Jonathan's life, but you boy, boy, Jonathan has got a great position in heaven. Whatever that might be, he's got a great future in eternity. But therefore, God, because Jesus laid everything down, he yielded. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name. And it goes on and it goes on. Same for you, same for Jonathan. He yielded. And I'm not saying it's the exact same promise. We're not Jesus. You're not God. But if we yield, it doesn't end there. There's a great future for you. Practically, what can we do? We can be kind and generous to those less fortunate than us. We can listen Here's a challenging one. If there's anything that you, only one thing from this message, listen before you speak, not speak and then listen. And that's putting somebody else before you in a meeting at work. Just let someone talk. Let them say what they've got to say. In a family meeting or in a, 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 a fallout with a friend, let them talk. Listen, then you talk. Here's a good one. Celebrate the success of others. If you can get into that habit, you will never feel envious or jealous because you're in the habit of celebrating. When anything good happens to anybody, celebrate with them. Even if you don't feel like it, even if you feel, I wish that could have been me, celebrate with them. Rejoice with them. Party with them. Even if you miss out. You're not missing out, but even if you feel you've missed out. And here's a good one for you. If there's nothing... Of those other three that relate to you, just try this one. Just be thankful for what you do have. You're yielding. And who knows what you might wield in the future. And then the third point. True friends build faith, not fear. Wow. Saul is a madman, unfortunately. And he's got all the power that at his disposal. All the chariots as Sarah was talking about chariots last week and all the military prowess all the people he could kill anyone at a drop of a hat he's on the hunt on a manhunt for David potential fear scenario but let's just read a section from 1 Samuel 23 but in the middle I'm going to just kind of flash back to Psalms to kind of give you David's perspective on what's happening from behind the scenes I'll go with me see how we go so 1 Samuel 23 13 so David and his men, about 600 of them now, left Keilah and began roaming the countryside. Word soon reached Saul that David had escaped, so he didn't go to Keilah after all. David now stayed in the strongholds of the wilderness and in the hill country of Ziph. Saul hunted him day after day, but God didn't let Saul find him. So David, King David, giant slaying David, is in a cave hiding. We've just... Rewind or fast forward, however you want to do it, to Psalms. I don't know exactly theologically, historically, if this is the exact moment he wrote this. But these are the kind of things at that, roughly that time that David was writing in Psalms. I am surrounded by fierce lions who greedily devour human prey. Whose teeth pierce like spears and arrows and whose tongues cut like swords. And if the next one, Jess, is just similar. Come with great power, O God, and rescue me. Defend me with your might. Listen to my prayer, O God. Pay attention to my plea. The strangers are attacking me. Violent people are trying to kill me. They care nothing for God. Interlude. Break. Breath. 
David is in a fearful, terrifying ordeal. How on earth is he going to get out of this? Well, I need a drink. I'm just sweating thinking about it. If we just read on, Jess, we'll go flashback to 1 Samuel 23, carrying on where we left off. One day near Horesh, David received the news that Saul was on the way to Ziph to search for him and kill him. Jonathan. We all need a Jonathan. Oh, we all need a Jonathan. He went to find David. And he encouraged him. Stay strong in his faith in God. Don't be afraid, Jonathan reassured him. My father will never find you. What a statement. He's on David's side. He's, he's not even on his own dad's side. That's how loyal. Doesn't mean he didn't honor his father. But my father will never find you. You are going to be the king of Israel. And I will be next to you. As my father Saul is well aware. So the two of them renewed their solemn pact before the Lord. Then Jonathan returned home while David stayed in that fearful place with a new confidence. He's just been encouraged. He's just had his faith strengthened by a true friend. And you know what? Jonathan went out of his way. One of our core values, kindness. He went out of his way to find David and to encourage him. You know what? He even took a risk. At one, there's a couple of occasions where his father, Saul, wanted to kill his own son because Jonathan had helped David, his rival, in the past. So he was doing something almost foolish by going back to David at the risk of potential death by his own father. And he didn't come to remind him about how much trouble he was in. He didn't even come to warn him on this occasion. He just came to encourage him, to build him to strengthen him, to love him, strengthen his faith in God, to remind him of the promises. You will be king, David. No matter what circumstances are saying, you are going to be king. What a promise. We all need a Jonathan who will take our eyes off our fear and put them onto God. We all need somebody who, when we are in our deepest, darkest cave, Somebody who will go out of their way, find us, and say the right thing that will strengthen our faith. I need a Jonathan. I need a true friend. We all need a Jonathan. And the question, this is again another challenge which I won't answer, but you can try in your head, is when was the, when was the last time you went out of your way to encourage someone? possibly at great risk to yourself. When was the last time you went out of your way to strengthen somebody else's faith in God? Do you know what? This church needs to be full of Jonathans. We all need to go out of our way. When somebody is in a cave, we need to find the words from God to encourage them and remind them of the promises of God. So in many ways, practically, and I'm drawing to a close 
it's great talking about the theory of what a true friend is like. It is, you know, isn't it nice? You know, I'd love a friend like this. It's great talking about having how to be a good friend in three easy steps. Thanks, Ben. You've really encouraged me and inspired me. But this is the kind of message that needs some practical application. This is the kind of message that, okay, I might be one of those people that I just feel, and I've got to be honest, there are times, if, if you were to say specialist subjects in terms of preaching, Ben, you're going to talk on friendship. For me, that would be near the bottom of the pile. When it was, I've talked about a few of my school friends, I was terrified. This is not even a lie or an exaggeration. I was terrified of inviting my friends around my house. They'd invite me and we'd go and play or we'd go and do this, that and the other. We'd go and play what, you know, barbecues or whatever as we got older. I was terrified. And I, I could... I could hardly ever do it. And I think, I don't know whether, whether to be super spiritual or not, whether I'm just an OCD clean freak, freak, whether my parents were humiliating, whether my sisters were just so annoying, I just didn't want anyone to meet them. But maybe there's a spiritual thing about it, not to over-spiritualize everything, but just opening up my home as a youngster, I just found it hard. Maybe opening up me and becoming friendly to others, maybe allowing others in was difficult. So this is not my expert subject. So how, and the final two, six minutes, well, a couple of minutes, probably finish early. But the, the final thought is how. Um, we all need a friend like Jonathan. But I would say, first thing, we all need to be a friend like Jonathan. If you're struggling with finding Jonathans, well, first step, first practical piece of advice is be a friend like Jonathan. Be somebody who doesn't compete but compliments others around you. Be somebody who yields power instead of wielding it. Be someone that builds faith in others and not fear. There, I think, is one step. But in church, and I think we're privileged in church, if I was preaching, not that I would be preaching, if I was preaching in a nightclub, or if I was preaching in a, even in a school perhaps, or in the public square or wherever, this would be a difficult message because I don't know where the Jonathans are. But in church, there are Jonathans stretching from the right and the left of this auditorium. There are Jonathans everywhere. And as a practical thing, and I think I'm going to put it on screen now, it's a takeaway, Jess. Point number one is join a small group. If you're in that situation where you're thinking, well, I haven't got a Jonathan and I don't know how to be a Jonathan and who are the Jonathans? Join a small group. If you're in a small group and you just, it, it's just one thing in your calendar each two weeks, but maybe you need to step up and just go out of your way a little bit more for the people in your group. Maybe you can do something. So the next step for some people that is in a group, maybe your, maybe your takeaway message is, what can you do this week or this month or this next year to go out of your, whoa, to go, <laughs> nearly fell off the stage, go out of your way <laughs> to love the people in your group. And maybe you've been in for years, or maybe you've been in and you, just, you love small groups. Maybe your takeaway message is maybe you need to speak to Dave and Faith and just say, you know what, I could lead one. And I want to get around people. I don't want to get Jonathans, gather Jonathans. I want to encourage people and strengthen people and strengthen their faith. As a practical way of responding to my message, friends, it's, not, it's great in theory, but in practice... What, what a better opportunity. Church is brilliant for Jonathans. Church is brilliant for creating environments where Jonathans can grow and Davids can grow and we can all grow together. So I want to find some, I want to find some Davids and strengthen their faith. And I want some Jonathans to come and find me and strengthen my faith. 
So there's your practical take home. And just finally, before I invite the band, and perhaps band, you can get ready. You can come onto the stage now at this point. And I just finding ways to, to conclude my message. There's people in the room, perhaps you don't even know God. You don't even, you don't care about Jonathan, let alone David, let alone God. And I've talked a lot about laying down and serving, serving God. And you're kind of like, well, you know what? I don't even really want that. I don't know. I don't know where you are. But there's a, there's a, a verse that encourages me in John 15, and it says this, Jesus talking. John 15, verse 15, says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. This is Jesus talking to you and me. You know what? Don't worry about being a servant right now. Don't worry about getting it all together. Don't worry about laying your life down just yet. I call you a friend. You know what? God is saying, I'll be your Jonathan. While you're David, while you're in, in a cave, I'll be your Jonathan right now. I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from my father. I have made known to you. Let's pray. And if you're one of those people, you're just looking for a friend. The only place you can turn is God. You haven't got God in your life. I'm going to pray for you now. And perhaps at the end of this service, you can come and tell me that you prayed. I can come and continue that prayer. And I'm going to pray to conclude this message. So if you are in that situation where you you want to know a, a friend who sticks closer than a brother, Jesus. Then join with me as I pray. Lord, I thank you for your love. God, I thank you, Jesus, that you went to the cross. You laid down your life. God, you served us. And in that process, you call us friends. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room right now who needs a friend like no other. God, I pray that you would meet them where they're sat right now. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room who they may even know you right now, but God, they're looking for a Jonathan. They're desperate for a Jonathan. God, they're in an isolated cave, God, with no one to help them. Jesus, would you put a Jonathan in their way? God, would a Jonathan go out of their way to find them? And Lord, I pray for those in the room, God, who are Jonathans themselves. God, would they have the confidence to take a risk, to step out, to go out of their comfort zone, God, and to go and find people to strengthen. So thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you for what you have said. And Lord, I just pray, God, that each of us could find some way of practically responding to your words.